Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Live from the Vegas Strip, welcome to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi. One thing about Vegas, we adapt to change. Today, we will discuss the effect of cryptocurrency on our culture and specifically how it changes things in the casino. Later in the show, we will discuss the history of change in Vegas by looking at the continuing changing of the architecture here on the Strip. Our team of experts are here as well. Your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com, is here to discuss a couple of attractions that are near the M Hotel on the far end of the Strip. Mr. Big is here with the Vintage Vegas Crime Blotter, along with nutritionist Melissa Anderson, who is back with more about the cleansing world of fiber. Finally, Tiger Todd, the creator of Hero School, is here to talk about the importance of solutions when discussing homelessness, not just the identification of the problem. Let's go to Vegas, baby. Let's go We all know that cryptos are everywhere. If you watch the business news, it's part of life and we got to get to know it. But a lot of people don't. We got the perfect person to come in and explain it and specifically how it might affect Las Vegas. He's a crypto expert. His name is J.R. Lannis. He shares the West Coast Corporate and Securities Practice Area of Pulsinelli Law and is an experienced securities and M&A attorney. He works out of Los Angeles. J.R., thanks for being with us. So a lot of people are going, I don't get this. And quite frankly, a lot of smart people look at this subject and they think it's something the kids are doing or that kind of thing. But uh, this is something that uh, we can't ignore anymore. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's going to become a part of our lives, just like the Internet. It's a part of our lives. And for those of us who are old enough, remember a time when it wasn't. I think we'll say the same thing about cryptocurrency. 10, 20 years from now. Yeah, that's real interesting. I love the the comparison with technology. So we got to learn this. So in the most simplistic way, can you kind of explain, first of all, what this is? Because a lot of people, we all know it's an alternative form of currency, but it's a lot more than that. Yeah, cryptocurrency can take a lot of different forms, but at its most basic level, it's a form of monetary interest that's tracked on the blockchain. Okay, and then the blockchain, you want to explain that real quick? Yeah, the blockchain is, uh, in a lot of ways, the backside of the Internet in a very specific form of software called uh, blockchain or distributed ledger technology. So it's a way of crowdsourcing computing power, and anybody can do it. Uh, If you wanted to do it yourself, you could just uh, buy the correct computing platform and have the right software, you could become what's called a miner. And you're essentially lending your computing power to others that can be used for recording transactions on the blockchain. So your computer is literally keeping track of what's on the blockchain. And in exchange for that, you get a cryptocurrency. And there's 
thousands of cryptocurrencies out there, so it's a question of what kind of cryptocurrency you choose to mine and ultimately to have as a result of your efforts. That is fantastic. I love it. It's the first time I've heard somebody explain it where it really makes sense, you know, that we can all get this. And it's really, it's just in the same way the currency has been backed up by gold or by oil or something. It's just another way to quantify it, right? Yeah, it's not too dissimilar from, say, a credit card transaction. When you swipe your credit card, money's transferred from one place to another, and it's recorded on a bank server. Really, the the distinction here is, first, that we're talking about, instead of money, cryptocurrency. So it's kind of an alternative asset, but serving functionally the same purpose. And then, instead of storing the information, the transaction information, on a bank server, you're storing it on the distributed ledger, which is to say on the computers of those people who are participating in the mining of this particular cryptocurrency. Now, we're going to get into specifically how this affects Nevada and the gambling uh, world and so forth in the casinos. But first, the concept also of Bitcoin, all that Bitcoin is is just one of these, right? It's the, it's the most well-known of these cryptocurrencies. It's the most well-known and it's the oldest. It was the original cryptocurrency. And they take different forms, so the technology underlying each of these coins can be very different depending on what purpose they serve, but they're all operating in more or less the same way. Okay, so let's move into the Las Vegas casinos, because we've seen these actually in downtown Las Vegas. We're seeing ATM machines that uh, dealing with uh, cryptocurrency and so forth. How is this going to change the way people gamble in casinos? I mean, does it work the exact same way as dollars, or is that going to change how we do um, how we do our gaming in Nevada and elsewhere? In the short term, I would say probably not. In the longer term, yes. I, I say no in the short term just because gambling tends to be, despite how it's perceived, legally a fairly conservative industry. And so the... Regulatory bodies, I don't think, are going to be excited to see crypto in the casinos before they absolutely have no choice. Back with more in a moment from J.R. Lannis, who works in a diverse array of industries, including technology, hospitality, and life sciences. Tiger Todd is back again this week, talking about homelessness, not just the problem, which we can all see for ourselves, more importantly, the solutions. And is this part of the problem with trying to handle uh, a problem such as this where, while totally well-meaning, on the same time governments and basically bureaucracies get so caught up in in kind of a, the, the process that they don't get really to the heart of the problem? Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I love that Einstein quote. What is it? Um, if I had only one hour to save the world, I'd spend 55 minutes determining what the problem was or the solution and then five minutes delivering it. You know, and so I think that uh, when you pointed out the 80s, right, a pivotal time in this growth of what we call American homelessness. Now, again, I define it differently than the U.S. government, than the local governments. Um, you know, I, I, I clearly delineate between ho uh, homelessness and houselessness, right? And many times, uh, to your point, um, um, government entities and bureaucracies try to solve a homelessness problem, which to me is a learned human condition like someone with a, a virus, and uh, it's, certainly it's an anti-society virus, it's an anti-employment virus, it's an anti-manage-your-own-household virus, right? 
And so, uh, whereas they just say it's someone without a house, right? So I think what happened maybe in the 80s that, caused, that, that added to this, this boost is we see not just governments, but we see Silicon Valley's example of, ooh, if we can scale it, we can become billionaires. And so I think what we did is instead of take the time to either find the experts who understood what the root cause was and then the solution, they went straight to scale based on incomplete information. In other words, they, they multiplied like crazy these, these programs, not realizing that in those multiplication, without actually honing in on the core problem, they actually multiplied the problem along with the delivery of services. More with Tiger Todd of Hero School again next week. In the meantime, you can learn all about Hero School, igniting rapid and lasting change with the homeless, houseless, and hopeless at the speed of movies. To do that, just visit heroschool.us. That's heroschool.us. For great classic sports, it's Sports R-A-C-X, which is available on radio stations nationwide and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Sports, R-A-C-X. It's short for Sports Rockin' Tours. Later today on Sports Rockin' Tours, well, it's March Madness. So who better to talk to than one of the finest college basketball writers ever, Dick Weiss. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Mangie, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. If you love great sound, you'll love Oont speakers. Oont has been making great speakers for over 30 years, and now they've developed these cost-effective, great-sounding Bluetooth speakers. Meet Troy, one of the idea guys. Hey, Troy, how can I get these? With two-day free shipping, go to theoonts.com, T-H-E-O-O-N-T-Z.com. Be seen, be heard. Go to theoonts.com. That's T-H-E-O-O-N-T-Z.com. Did Louis the Coin really soak the sheets with red wine in Rome? Yes. Did he really tell a federal court after testing positive for cocaine in his 70s that he only used coke for sex? Yes. Well, you can get these tales and more in the great book, You Thought It Was More, Adventures of the World's Greatest Counterfeiters. It's available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or at louisthecoinbook.com. That's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or at louisthecoinbook.com. Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-979-4317. 800-979-4317. That's 800-979-4317. You hear Mr. Big every week on this show. Now Mr. Big invites you to visit him online and save some money. All his books are now on Kindle, and he's got a variety of books, fiction and nonfiction, including The Life and Times of Frank Balisteri, books on casino games, and much more. You can buy the Kindle and save even more money. Go to MilwaukeeMob.com. That's MilwaukeeMob.com. That's MilwaukeeMob.com.
Welcome back to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to J.R. Lannis, who is an experienced securities attorney and is here to discuss the world of cryptocurrency. That's just my opinion. I don't have any inside information on that. But I do think that, as I said, when we kick things off, this is going to become a part of our lives. And at some point, they're going to have no choice but to accept this in a casino in some form or fashion. How that's going to look and and what limitations it's going to have on it, I don't know. But I do think that eventually you're going to have cryptocurrency in the slot machines or at the tables. Yeah, and I, and I think you're right because uh, what we're even seeing is just with something as simple as a cashless casino like we saw over Resorts World, real struggle for people to get their arms around it. And you think part of the reason for that is because in the world of gaming, although we're always looking ahead to the future people that are going to be visiting Vegas and so forth, it tends to skew as an older demographic. Yeah, it'll take a while for everyone to figure out how it fits, but if there's a way for someone to make money off of it, then I'm sure that the the gaming companies will find it. And I also think that there's just going to be demand, maybe not from the older crowd that you just mentioned, but from the younger crowd and, and as it becomes more established, probably from just the average Jane or Joe who's looking to bring their cryptocurrency and be able to gamble with it. Because in a lot of ways, the people who hold cryptocurrency are holding it as a form of disposable income, right? It's not the money that they're necessarily living off of. So it's kind of prime low-hanging fruit for people who want to gamble. Yeah, that's that's well said. Now, you know, just in general, we were talking about the older demographic and so forth. If I think of it in the same way that I think of the internet and so forth, it might not be so long where people in the older demographics are just going to have to, maybe not to the same extent as the the upcoming generations, but they're not going to be able to avoid this either, right? We're not, in other words, it's not going to just be an attrition thing as people die off that it'll be moving in. Yeah, I don't think it'll be attrition per se. I think that it's going to be an increasing part of everybody's lives. And yeah, maybe the more senior among us will never quite get there, just like some of our parents or grandparents still are struggling with email. But I think that 95% of the population is going to at least understand it, and many people are going to be utilizing it in some form. Well, when you talk about gaming, and specifically here in Nevada, you're talking about government regulation, yet this stuff is not currently regulated by government. You think we're going to see that and see it quick, and how do you kind of envision that possibly rolling out? It is regulated somewhat by government, and without getting too lawyerly on you, I think that really what you see right now is the quest to define what a cryptocurrency is for legal purposes. And you have the SEC saying that most cryptocurrencies are securities, and the SEC, for those who may not know, is the Securities and Exchange Commission. And then you have the CFTC, the Commodity Future Trading Commission, saying that Bitcoin and Ethereum are actually commodities and not securities. And so you have those two regulatory bodies, at least in the U.S., kind of laying claim to the space. So there is some oversight, but Congress has yet to really do much about it, aside from 
trying to find ways to tax it, which is usually their their go-to, <laughs> find a way to take a piece of it. So I think that that probably has to happen first, that being a better understanding of what regulation is going to look like in this area, and maybe even taking a step back from that, defining what it is in the first place. Is it a security? Is it a commodity? Is it something else? And then once that can happen, the more state-level regulations like gambling can take it from there. But I really think the federal government has to make its case as to what it is and how it's going to regulate it in a more defined way than it has so far. And then we can start talking about how the gambling body is going to regulate it. Is this going to fall into the, it seems like everything is looked at from a political point of view, is it going to fall one way or the other, or is this, I kind of get the idea that this doesn't matter whether you're on the left or on the right, everybody's going to deal with it. Yeah, it's tough to say, because I think, frankly, most of Congress doesn't understand it, and so they they don't know what to do about it, because they don't understand it well enough to have an opinion. It seems like to the extent that there have been any political divisions on this. It's what you might expect in the sense that the Republicans are more in favor of it as a form of business and the Democrats are more in favor of regulating it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that it's it's so early on for people in Washington, D.C. that they haven't figured out what they think about it yet. More in a moment with J.R. Lannis, who structures, negotiates, and closes multi-million and billion-dollar acquisitions, sales, mergers, and licensing deals. Time now to take a look back to the days of Vintage Vegas and the mob with Mr. Big. Time for the Vintage Vegas Crime Blotter and with Mr. Big. And Mr. Big is going to talk about a familiar name that we hear from time to time, Frank Costello. Frank Costello, great guy. One of the few masters who did not have to use a gun to get what he wanted. He simply would talk to people and they would, they would deal with him because they'd rather deal with Frank than say, Bugsy Siegel. Frank was a regional person. Bugsy was kind of nuts, right? But one day, Frank, in his later years was walking home after a hard day being a master, and someone walked up to him in the streets of New York and tried to shoot him. The bullet didn't do the damage they thought it would do. In fact, it came out to be a flesh wound, and but Frank went to the hospital. In the hospital, the cat's going through his clothing, right, seeing whatever and sick is fine, discovered betting slips in his pockets, because Frank liked to write down information. And Frank wrote down from the Tropicana the names of the people from the club, from the casino manager, they had pit boss and other people with their initials, which also listed the amount of money that casino was making. Long and behold, the cats kind of figured out that Frank Gasol was a secret partner in that casino. That would lead to Frank being able to testify in front of Congress, Frank, of course, pleading the fifth, and Frank would go to jail for contempt of court. Because once you have to testify, when you testify in front of the court, you got to save your peace, so you go easily the fifth. But I think they gave him an opportunity to get immunity. So he simply went to jail for six months, which is fine. Um, Better six, jail for six months or something else for 20 years, I guess. Well, thanks, Mr. Big. Remember, we open the Vintage Vegas Crime Blotter every week here on Vegas Never Sleeps. And in the meantime, you can check out everything about Mr. Big at MilwaukeeMob.com. What a great site. He's got books on crime and gambling, some really cool merchandise for the house as well. That's MilwaukeeMob.com. Have you been portnoyed yet? Well, you should be. What does that actually mean, Neil Portnoy? You send me a photograph, and I do a realistic cartoon caricature. Realistic looks just like you, and then I cartoon the body. 
How do we get information we want to get Portnoy? Uh, you can call the gallery at 702-685-2929 or on social media, Facebook, Portnoy Gallery, artist Neil Portnoy, Neil Portnoy, idroppeople.com, and probably about six other places that at my age memory is the second thing that goes. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Manchie nationwide on the Talk Media Network. Hi, I'm Lisa Gay, and you're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Return to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi, and I'm chatting with J.R. Lannis, who serves as counsel to numerous public companies and investment banks and has experience in the world of cryptocurrency. Well, you know, J.R., you said before, you used the term lawyerly, but I'm thinking if you're going to get really involved in this, you want somebody like yourself that can help. I mean, I look at it, if I'm going to get into this, I'm going to find somebody like J.R. Lannis that can sit there and kind of give me the ideas. And, you know, we're still dealing with something kind of the wild frontier. So is that something you would say that people really should? It's not a place to, if you're going to significantly get involved in this stuff, you probably need some help. Yeah, I I definitely agree that, Anybody who's going to be operating in a sophisticated way in this space needs help. I think that because it is the Wild West and because it's not clear what the law is yet, there are definitely those out there who choose to see it as because we don't know what the law is, we're going to do whatever we want. And I think that's, even in the best of times, a dangerous approach because sooner or later, and my bet is on sooner, the government's going to come in and start bashing heads together and saying, you guys shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that. And it's a little bit disingenuous, at least from my perspective, from the government's point of view, because they're basically saying, well, you need to comply with the law. We just don't know what it is yet. (laughs) And, And it's frustrating for people like me, whose job it is to help people comply with the law, when we don't exactly have a good definition. But I do think it's better outlined today than it was when I first started dealing with some of these issues four or five years ago. And it'll be better still four or five years from now. So don't take the chance. Don't try and do it on your own and hope for the best because other people got away with it. Try and do it the right way. And especially as the space matures, you're going to be glad that you were on the right side of things instead of on the potentially illegal side of things. Well, yeah. And, and you want somebody, you're going to have to prognosticate. You're, you're just going to have to. you got to guess. And you want to go with somebody that's watching this stuff because it changes by the day. Yeah, it does change by the day. And some things change very slowly. As I said, the government's been slow to act on this. But the nature of the technology evolves so quickly that 
what was true a week ago may not be true a week from now. So you have to really be on top of it if you want to be in this space, because it's just like nothing else I've seen. The, the law, as you can imagine, tends to be fairly slow moving. But I've, in my career, never seen anything that moved as quickly as crypto and, and how it's evolved. Well, just a couple more things. One is Bitcoin was, like you say, the first. Everybody's heard of it and so forth. Now we're hearing about all sorts of different currencies and so forth. What advice do you give people? Because the way things work, I'm always a little suspicious because somebody comes in, you, you kind of want a little history. They may be great opportunities to jump in, but I, I would imagine you got to go in with your eyes wide open. Yeah, I think you can't be risk averse and and uh, be happy in this industry. It's something that is very volatile in a lot of different ways, not just from an investing standpoint, but from any kind of business or operational standpoint too. So you have to understand what you're dealing with, understand that it's risky, but also understand that there's immense opportunity. Um, just like anything that is going to be big, and one could argue that crypto already is big, but something that's going to be big and part of our lives far greater than it is today, there's risk associated with being on the ground floor of it, but there's also a lot of opportunity. Well, and we always heard about, whenever you talk about your finances, particularly if you're younger, you want to diversify, right? So that means you don't want to ignore this by any means, but you also, in Vegas parlance, you don't want to bet at all on that unless you really have, unless you know something the rest of us don't. Yeah, and I think that that's where people can get into trouble because there have been those who have bet a lot on crypto and come out on the other side very wealthy. The challenge is that those stories tend to get hyped up, right? The guy who's put $10,000 into a particular coin and, and became a billionaire. Yeah, that has happened, but is it the norm? Absolutely not. So you have to you know, balance the sensationalism of a particular story versus the odds of it actually happening to you. So final question then, people hear this, they're definitely intrigued. I know some people will just hear what we're going to talk about and they don't want to miss it. What do you recommend to somebody if they said to you, I want to get involved in it, I don't want to bet at all, but I, I don't want to miss out on it. Is there a good way to start? Is there a way, what, what are the first steps in, in getting in this world? I think you really need to educate yourself, and there's a lot of information out there that's free. It's easy to find. All you need is a computer or a phone, and you can look it up. So I would say spend a good amount of time educating yourself, really understanding what crypto and blockchain are, and then figure out how you fit with that, because everyone has their own approach and their own skill set, and then do something. But I, I think that there are a lot of people who want to do something and then figure it out later. And I don't think that really works in the space. You really need to understand it first and then develop a plan, not the other way around. Right. And I think that's great advice. Well, JR, if people want to know more about you, how do we learn more about what you're doing and uh, can read more? Where, where should we go? Yeah, I'm just a humble lawyer. I'm a partner at law firm Polsonelli and uh, I'm the vice chair of the securities law practice. So you can find me if you want to Google me on the internet over at polsonelli.com. You can find my contact information there and you can find what I've been speaking about doing and um, what I'm involved with, which includes a lot of crypto. Definitely worth checking out. JR, thank you so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. 
My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Cryptocurrency may be a big part of the future, and Vegas will be a leader just as it has been in the world of architecture. We've been talking with Stefan Al, author of The Strip, Las Vegas, and the Architecture of the American Dream. Stefan continues contrasting development of the Strip to that across the country. We pick up the development of the Strip in the 1990s. This really is like a theme park. It started out like a Knott's Berry farm in the old ghost town. And now, you know, you talk about the, the new thing with the pools. So then they go on to world. It's really like Epcot Center, right, where you can visit yeah. the entire world by going down the strip. Yeah. So that really happens in the, in the late 1990s when uh, developers start to copy entire cities, a copy of the Eiffel Tower, a copy of the Rialto Bridge in Venice and the Campanile. Uh, and there's a Monte Carlo and uh, the Bellagio, which uh, which has a massive uh, art- artificial lake themed after Lake Como. And so there's all these uh, copies uh, that uh, happen, particularly in that phase. And that kind of coincides with a national trend in which, uh, you know, for instance, the new urbanist, that's an urban design group, they uh, design a lot of uh, suburbs kind of themed after uh, turn of the century uh, American towns. So there's this, uh, there's this nationwide trend in, in uh, using history and, and manufacturing uh, heritage for, for the built environment. Uh, so, so this then uh, becomes a really interesting phase and developers competing with another, you know, who gets the building that is uh, the most accurate copy of the original. So the New York, New York, for instance, uh, had a, an entire skyline that included, um, you know, the Empire State Building, the Chrysler Building, and the, and the uh, Venetian went even further in copying uh, Venice, and they even flew in a, a historian from, from Venice to make sure that all the styrofoam uh, <laughs> uh, monuments were uh, looked authentic, uh, and and they repainted all these uh, frescoes from uh, from the 15th and 16th century with uh, painstaking detail uh, and accuracy. We will be back with more from Stefan Al, author of The Strip, Las Vegas, and the Architecture of the American Dream, in just a moment. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com.
You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Stephen Maggi, and I'm chatting with Stefan Al, author of The Strip, Las Vegas, and the Architecture of the American Dream. Is there really kind of a thought, as this is going on, as the planners are going, to kind of do this with a theme in mind? What do you think? So what's, what's, what's fascinating is that uh, the, the Las Vegas developers, they don't suffer from baggage, right? They, they're, they're willing to embrace the latest trend, and even if that means blowing up perfectly fine uh, buildings. So you know, in other, other places around the world, maybe the average lifespan of a building is, is 50 years, if not more, but on the Strip, uh, it can be as, as soon as, you know, maybe a couple of years after a building has been built that uh, already parts of it are being demolished and rebuilt uh, or the entire building uh, gets imploded. And this is why, you know, Las Vegas also has the reputation of being the implosion uh, capital of the world. So on one hand, that's certainly kind of wasteful and destruction. But on the other hand, it's also creation and innovation and you can argue that Las Vegas has really uh, been on the forefront of pioneering new uh, experiences, uh, experimenting with architecture, inventing new uh, cultures uh, that are really uh, fascinating. And you only have to go to, for instance, the Neon uh, Museum, you know, the, the boneyard that has all the old neon signs, and you realize that this is important kind of cultural heritage. Right? That's where all yeah. the old neon signs of the 60s and 70s. That's a great place. Uh, go to retire, and you know, and and uh, you know, they have an afterlife, right? And people love to go <laughs> yeah. there, and they take pictures. Uh, you can even get married there, uh, and it's a it's a very meaningful place. So, sure, on one hand, um, it's it's this kind of cutthroat uh, um, innovation also leads to destruction, but on the other hand. There, it, it, there's been a lot of uh, innovations and, and a lot of uh, kind of architectural marvels that were created. Thank you, Stefan. You can buy his book, The Strip, Las Vegas, and the Architecture of the American Dream, on Amazon. We've been talking to nutritionist Melissa Anderson about the value of fiber. And while all fiber is good, the kind from Whole Foods is really the best. A lot of people say, well, well, I'll just take Metamucil, but like you told me, not the same thing as uh, getting it from Whole Foods. Right, right. So, I mean, it's a good option for people if they don't have the ability to get dietary fiber adequately. Getting your fiber from Whole Foods is better because foods are like, like a symphony. You know, there's so many things going on. There's so many instruments playing at the same time, and they are what makes the... Um, the whole thing work. But if you isolate one violin, like just one nutrient, like fiber, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to work the same. You're not going to get the same effect. So truly, yes, fiber is great, but so is the whole plant. I love the vision of the symphony. (laughs) When you're thinking of that, I mean, I hate to ask where the horns are, but you know. (laughs) It's amazing <laughs> that they're in the IBS section. <laughs> well, let's take people through a day then. So we're starting out with breakfast. You already mentioned oatmeal is a great thing. I've heard about people putting unprocessed wheat bran on like their favorite cereal. Is that a good thing? Sure. Yeah. Wheat bran is holy moly. 
it's a real powerhouse. I want to say that it's like a half cup has something like 13 grams of fiber or something. I mean, well, a half cup of wheat bran is a lot of wheat bran. So yeah. You don't use that much. But, but yeah, absolutely. Like with a tablespoon sprinkled on yogurt or oatmeal or something, you're going to get some fiber. It's super easy. You can sprinkle it on anything. I actually had a classmate in college who would only eat ice cream if she sprinkled sesame seeds on it because that's just how she liked it. So, <laughs> hey, <laughs> you do you. Maybe wheat bran goes on yours. <laughs> well, one thing I enjoy, too, and I do this in Vegas a lot, is, you know, there, there's incredible Asian foods, mm. all different types. And now you can get brown rice at these things. It's just a little bit better, right? It's one of those things. That's, it's kind of like getting back to the whole wheat pasta or what have you. There are little ways we can ease into this if we want. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, brown rice is good because it has, you know, it's still intact fibers on the outside. But, I mean, honestly, if you look at the nutrition label on brown rice versus white rice, the fiber content's not all that different. Um, but the, there are other things that are going on in the brown rice. They're also very good for you, so go for it. Um, but like you said, it's a good stepping stone because whereas – like the fiber is not robustly different. The taste kind of is. And so taking that step to get used to sort of different nuttier flavors and, you know, less starchy flavors is actually an easy way that a lot of people are successful making a transition. Well, thanks, Melissa. We will talk more about the fiber lifestyle with Melissa again next week. Time now for another visit with your Vegas insider, Scott Robin of VitalVegas.com. Another one that uh, doesn't have that kind of excitement but was on the list that I just wasn't that familiar with is the Lion Habitat Ranch. And you say it's just south of the uh, Vegas Strip. Uh, I I take it you can see lions. Yeah, it is exciting because uh, it is right next to M Resort, if you have any familiarity with that area, Uh, maybe 10 minutes south of, say, Mandalay Bay or the Las Vegas sign. It is a... Uh, refuge uh, back in the day when they retired the tigers from places like MGM, they had to go somewhere and this is where they went and they've done, done a little breeding. Uh, I don't think it's excessive, but sometimes they will have cubs, but you can see lions, you can see, uh, you know, a giraffe. They've got just oddball things. And uh, it's kind of a different, you know, it's different than a zoo. It's, it feels like you get closer to the animals. You, it, the animals look very happy and content, even though it gets a little warmish in the summer. Um, I trust that when the mirage is, um, when it when it retires its tigers, that's probably where where they will end up. You know, I'm always looking for something that's kind of off the beaten path, and that lion habitat is definitely that. Well, I appreciate that, and you have one other thing that I have been out to, and I just wanted to get the Vital Vegas. Uh, what to look for because i saw it right when it opened up and i didn't get it okay it's the seven magic mountains and you know it's right in that same area you're talking about it's down in that same region uh what is it and more importantly more importantly why do you think it's worthwhile for a visit (laughs) well uh we live in an era of things that are grammable and this is supremely grammable they're not mountains they're pillars of neon rocks and they are probably four or five stories tall. I'm not great at estimating such things, but they are seven massive piles of boulders and they are brightly colored and they're out in the middle of the fugliest part of Nevada, (laughs) just brown all around in the desert and they stand out. Um, 
you have to plan a little bit. Most of the people that visit these structures are driving from Southern California because the freeway goes right by. You kind of have to get off the freeway before yeah. uh, before them, so you got to do a little research online. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just the strangest, like seems out of place, but somehow now over time it's gotten to just be kind of a cool place to stop. It is completely photogenic and shareable in social media. I think that's one of the reasons people should go and have gone. And it's probably thousands of visitors a month who just stop by. It's free. You just walk up, get your picture. And uh, it's just an oddball attraction just outside of Vegas. And I've gone multiple times for whatever reason. I I went and droned it uh, before it opened. And it's uh, there's just a huge amount of curiosity. I like it because people search for it, and they end up on my website to find out about it. That's one of the reasons I like it. <laughs> well, you're going to get me to go out there again because, you know, I'll tell you, if you're an autophile, you don't plan on any microphone interviews or anything because I actually met the artist right when they were when it was opening up, and I interviewed him, and it's the only interview I can recall with a, with a really high-quality mic and all that where the wind was so bad, you just it just was unlistenable. <laughs> oh, because it's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah there's nothing pop, 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 pop. at all with Bring, bring a, yeah. Do bring a windbreaker if you go out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting because the, I've been several times and I don't remember any wind at all. So That was um, the day. <laughs> yeah, but it is there is a high level of exposure. You're in the desert, uh, but you're pretty close to an off, an off ramp, probably five minutes away from uh, a lot of people that stay at the M obviously go down because it's just a, a few miles from the M Resort and South Point. And it's it's just an oddball thing to say you did, and you you definitely it doesn't look like anything you've ever seen. That's for sure. Thanks, Scott. Make sure to visit Scott Robin every day at VitalVegas.com for the very best on Vegas happenings. Coming up next is Sports Rock and Tours. Go to Sports R A C X wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Sports R A C X. It's short for Sports Rock and Tours. And please follow both Vegas Never Sleeps and Sports Rockin' Tours on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manchie reminding you, Vegas Never Sleeps. Vegas, here we go!